Hello again. I'd like to start, and I hope you don't mind, by just taking a moment to thank you for letting me know that this podcast is really helping. That is the goal. Thank you. Okay, now, for this episode, we have two very unusual stories, both very worthy of finishing in the daylight. So first, we have The Open Window by the English author H.H. Monroe. He also used the pen name Saki. And we will finish with a struggle from William Carlos Williams' story, The Use of Force. So, all right, everybody, tuck in and enjoy. My aunt will be down presently, Mr. Nuttall, said a very self-possessed young lady of 15. In the meantime, you must try and put up with me. Frampton Nuttall endeavored to say the correct something which should duly flatter the niece of the moment without unduly discounting the aunt or aunt that was to come. Privately, he doubted more than ever whether these formal visits on a succession of total strangers would do much towards helping the nerve cure which he was supposed to be undergoing. I know how it'll be, his sister had said when he was preparing to migrate to this rural retreat. You will bury yourself down there and not speak to a living soul, and your nerves will be worse than ever from moping. I shall give you letters of introduction to all the people I know there. Some of them, as far as I can remember, were quite nice. Oh, Frampton wondered whether Mrs. Sappleton, the lady to whom he was presenting one of the letters of introduction, came into the nice division. Do you know many of the people round here? asked the niece, when she judged that they had had sufficient silent communication. Hardly a soul, said Frampton. My sister was staying here at the rectory, you know, some four years ago, and she gave me letters of introduction to some of the people here. He made the last statement in a tone of distinct regret. Then you know practically nothing about my aunt, pursued the self-possessed young lady. Only her name and address, admitted the caller. He was wondering whether Mrs. Sappleton was in the married or widowed state. An undefinable something about the room seemed to suggest masculine habitation. Her great tragedy happened just three years ago, said the child. That would be since your sister's time. Her her tragedy? asked Frampton. Somehow in this restful country, tragedies seemed out of place. 
You may wonder why we keep that window wide open on an October afternoon, said the niece, indicating a large French window that opened onto a lawn. Oh, it's quite warm for this time of year, said Frampton. But has that window got anything to do with the tragedy? Out through that window, three years ago to the day, her husband and her two young brothers went off for their day's shooting. They never came back. In crossing the moor to their favorite snipe shooting ground, they were all three engulfed in a treacherous piece of bog. It had been that dreadful wet winter, you know, and places that were safe in other years gave way suddenly without warning. Their bodies were never recovered. That was the dreadful part of it. Here the child's voice lost its self-possessed note and became falteringly human. Poor aunt always thinks that they will come back someday. They and the little brown spaniel that was lost with them and walk in that window just as they used to do. That is why the window is kept open every evening till it is quite dusk. Poor dear aunt. She has often told me how they went out. Her husband with his white waterproof coat over his arm, and Ronnie, her youngest brother, singing, Bertie, why do you bound, as he always did, to tease her, because she said it got on her nerves. Do you know sometimes on still, quiet evenings like this, I almost get a creepy feeling that they will all walk in through that window. <laughs> she broke off with a little shudder. Whew, it was a relief to Frampton when the aunt bustled into the room with a whirl of apologies for being late in making her appearance. I hope Vera has been amusing you, she said. She has been very interesting, said Frampton. I hope you don't mind the open window, said Mrs. Sappleton briskly. My husband and brothers will be home directly from shooting, and they will always come in this way. They've been out for snipe in the marshes today, so they'll make a fine mess all over my poor carpets. So like you men folk, isn't it? She rattled on cheerfully about the shooting and the scarcity of birds and the prospects for duck in the winter. To Frampton, it was all purely horrible. He made a desperate but only partial successful effort to turn the talk on to a less ghastly topic. He was conscious that his hostess was giving him only a fragment of her attention, and her eyes were constantly straying past him to the open window and the lawn beyond. 
It was certainly an unfortunate coincidence that he should have paid his visit on this tragic anniversary. Well, the doctors agree in ordering me complete rest, an absence of mental excitement and avoidance of anything in the nature of violent exercise, announced Frampton, who labored under the tolerably widespread delusion that total strangers and chance acquaintances are hungry for the least detail of one's ailments and infirmities, their cause and cure. On the matter of diet, they are not so much in agreement, he continued. Uh, no, said Mrs. Sappleton in a voice which only barely replaced a yawn at the last moment. Then she suddenly brightened into alert attention, but not to what Frampton was saying. Ah, here they are at last, she cried, just in time for tea, and don't they look as if they were muddy up to the eyes. Frampton shivered slightly and turned towards the niece, with a look intended to convey sympathetic comprehension. The child was staring out through the open window with dazed horror in her eyes. In a chill shock of nameless fear, Frampton swung round in his seat and looked in the same direction. In the deepening twilight, Three figures were walking across the lawn towards the window. They all carried guns under their arms, and one of them was additionally burdened with a white coat hung over his shoulders. A, a tired brown spaniel kept close at their heels, Noiselessly, they neared the house, and then a hoarse young man chanted out of the dusk. I said, Bertie, why do you bound? Frampton grabbed wildly at his stick and hat. The hall door, the gravel drive, and the front gate were dimly noted stages in his headlong retreat. A cyclist, coming along the road, had to run into the hedge to avoid imminent collision. Here we are, my dear, said the bearer of the white Macintosh, coming in through the window. Fairly muddy, but eh, most of it's dry. Uh, who was that who bolted out as we came up? A most extraordinary man, a Mr. Nuttall, said Mrs. Sappleton could only talk about his illnesses and dashed off without a word of goodbye or apology when you arrived. Why, one would think he'd seen a ghost. I expect it was the spaniel, said the niece calmly. He told me he had a horror of dogs. He was once hunted into a cemetery somewhere on the banks of the Ganges by a pack of pariah dogs. And 
he had to spend the night in a newly dug grave with the creatures snarling and grinning and foaming just above him, enough to make anyone lose their nerve. Romance, at short notice, was her specialty. And now, turning to the use of force. They were new patients to me. All I had was the name, Olson. Please come down as soon as you can. My daughter is very sick. When I arrived, I was met by the mother, a big, startled-looking woman, very clean and apologetic, who merely said, Is this the doctor? And let me in. In the back, she added, You must excuse us, doctor. We have her in the kitchen where it is warm. It's very damp here sometimes. The child was fully dressed and sitting on her father's lap near the kitchen table. He tried to get up, but I motioned for him not to bother and took off my overcoat and started to look things over. I could see that they were all very nervous, eyeing me up and down distrustfully. As often in such cases, they weren't telling me more than they had to. It was up to me to tell them. That's why they were spending three dollars on me. <laughs> the child was fairly eating me up with her cold, steady eyes and no expression to her face, whatever. She did not move and seemed inwardly quiet, an unusually attractive little thing and as strong as a heifer in appearance, but her face was flushed and she was breathing rapidly and I realized she had a high fever. She had magnificent blonde hair in profusion, one of those picture children often reproduced in advertising leaflets and uh, the photogravature sections of the Sunday paper. She had a fever for three days, her father began to tell me, and we don't know what it's come from. My wife has given her things, you know, like people do, but it don't do no good. And there's been a lot of sickness around, so we thought you'd better look her over and tell us what's the matter. As doctors often do, I took a trial shot at it. As a point of departure, has she had a sore throat? Both parents answered me together, no, no, she says her throat doesn't hurt her. Does your throat hurt you, dear? added the mother to the child, but the little girl's expression didn't change. She didn't move her eyes from my face. Have you looked? Well, I tried to, said the mother, but I couldn't see. As it happens, we've been having a number of cases of diphtheria in the school. Diphtheria! To which this child went, the school, that is, that month. And we were all quite apparently thinking of that though no one had as yet spoken of the thing. Well, 
I said. Suppose we take a look at the throat first. I smiled in my best professional manner, and asking the child's first name, I said, Come on, Matilda, open your mouth and let's take a look at your throat. Nothing doing. Ah, come on, I coaxed. Just open your mouth wide and let me take a look. Look, I said, opening both hands wide. I haven't anything in my hands. Just open up and let me see. Such a nice man, put in the mother. Look how kind he is to you. Come on, do what he tells you to do. He won't hurt you. Oh. At that, I ground my teeth in disgust. If only they wouldn't use the word hurt, I might be able to get somewhere. But I did not allow myself to be hurried or disturbed. Speaking quietly and slowly, I approached the child again. As I moved my chair a little nearer, suddenly, with one cat-like movement, both her hands clawed instinctively for my eyes. And she almost reached them, too. In fact, she knocked my glasses flying, and they fell, though unbroken, several feet away from me on the kitchen floor. Oh, both the mother and father almost turned themselves inside out in embarrassment and apology. Oh, you bad girl, said the mother taking her and shaking her by one arm. Look what you've done. The nice man. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I broke in. Don't call me a nice man to her. I'm here to look at her throat on the chance that she might have diphtheria and possibly, possibly die of it. But that's nothing to her. Look here, I said to the child. We're going to look at your throat. You're old enough to understand what I'm saying. Will you open it now by yourself, or shall we have to open it for you? Not a move. Even her expression hadn't changed. Her breaths, however, were coming faster and faster. Then the battle began. I had to do it. I had to have a throat culture for her own protection. But first... I told the parents that it was entirely up to them. I explained the danger, but said that I would not insist on a throat examination so long as they would take the responsibility. If you don't do what the doctor says, you'll have to go to the hospital, the mother admonished her severely. Oh, yeah? I had to smile to myself. After all, I had already fallen in love with this savage little brat. The parents were contemptible to me. In the ensuing struggle, they grew more and more abject, crushed, exhausted, while she surely rose to magnificent heights of insane fury. Bred from her terror of me. The father tried his best, and he was a big man. But the fact that she was his daughter, his shame at her behavior, and his dread of hurting her made him release her just at the critical times when I had almost achieved success, till I wanted to kill him. But his dread also that she might have diphtheria made him tell me to go on. Go on, even though he himself was almost fainting while the mother moved back and forth behind us, 
raising and lowering her hands in an agony of apprehension. Put her in front of you, on your lap, I ordered, and hold both wrists. But as soon as he did, the child let out a scream. Don't! You're hurting me! Let go of my hand! Let them go, I tell you! And then she shrieked terrifyingly, hysterically. Stop it! Stop it! You're killing me! Do you think she can stand it, doctor? said the mother. You get out, said the husband to his wife. Do you want her to die of diphtheria? Come on now, hold her, I said. And then I grasped the child's head with my left hand and tried to get the wooden tongue depressor between her teeth. Ooh, she fought with clenched teeth desperately. But now I also had grown furious at a child. I tried to hold myself down, but I couldn't. I know how to expose a throat for inspection, and I did my best. When I finally got the wooden spatula between the last teeth and just the point of it into the mouth cavity, she opened up for an instant, but before I could see anything, she came down again. And gripping the wooden blade between her molars, she reduced it to splinters before I could get it out again. Oh, aren't you ashamed? The mother yelled at her. Aren't you ashamed to act like that in front of the doctor? Get me a smooth-handled spoon of some sort, I told the mother. We're going through with this. The child's mouth was already bleeding, her tongue was cut, and she was screaming in wild, hysterical shrieks. Perhaps I should have desisted and come back in an hour or more. No doubt it would have been better. But I've seen at least two children lying dead in bed of neglect in such cases. And feeling that I must get a diagnosis now or never, I went at it again. But the worst of it was that I, too, had got beyond reason. I could have torn that child apart in my own fury and enjoyed it. It was a pleasure to attack her. My face was burning with it. The little brat must be protected against her own idiocy. One says it to oneself at such times. Others must be protected against her. It is a social necessity, and all these things are true. But a blind fury, a feeling of adult shame, bred of a longing for muscular release, are now the operatives. One goes on to the end. In a final, unreasoning assault, 
eye overpowered the child's neck and jaws. I forced the heavy silver spoon back of her teeth and down her throat till she gagged. And there it was, both tonsils covered with membrane. She had fought valiantly to keep me from knowing her secret. She had been hiding that sore throat for three days at least and lying to her parents in order to escape just such an outcome as this. Now, truly, she was furious. She had been on the defensive before, but now she attacked. She tried to get off her father's lap and fly at me while tears of defeat blinded her eyes. Good night.